0: Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to
1: Leader Dialogue Radio. Welcome, everyone. I'm Duffy Dixon, and you're listening to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by SOAR Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Joining me is the CEO of SOAR Vision Group, Ben Sawyer. He has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience. He launched the SOAR Vision Group with the idea of aligning people with purpose and to help them achieve exceptional results. And also joining us is Lisa Council. She is the C a uh, chief commercial office gonna go cco chief commercial officer she comes to soar with more than two decades of clinical leadership and clinical informatics experience and joining us again this week is our special guest he is craig Clapper. he is the founding partner of healthcare performance improvement or hpi and he is a partner in press Ganey transformational advisory services and i want to first say thank you for joining us but also We did not give you any props for your new book, so we're gonna do it right off the top. We've got it right here.
0: Excellent. Yeah, Zero Harm uh, came out November, 2018 by McGraw-Hill. Wrote it with uh, my partner, Dr. Jim Merlino from the Cleveland Clinic, and then Carol Stockmeyer, another HPI founder.
1: And it's Zero Harm, How to Achieve Patient and Workforce Safety in Healthcare. And this gets, gets us right into our topic. Now we get you two weeks in a row, so Ben, Catch listeners up to what we talked about last week.
2: Yeah, so we talked about a variety of different areas of performance. We talked about uh, patient safety. We talked about experience. We talked about efficiency uh, and um, quality, and how all of those are actually interrelated. You don't you don't get one by just focusing on that one. You actually address all of them. And we talked about uh, what is required to have good performance. We ended with a very interesting conversation, which was given all the complexity and the need to be able to have specific strategic priorities, how do you make sure that you keep organizational focus? And, and listeners may recall, if they go back and listen to last week's show, we used the term hotion which in Japanese means shine the compass. In other words, always make sure you know where the North Star purpose is and how you're aligned to it, which is a big part of organizations being able to stay focused and concentrated. And then everything they're doing in strategy should be aligned to that. So tee us off with that, Craig. What are some of the things that you have observed and experienced in terms of organizations that either don't have focus or have that focus and what's kind of required to be able to get there.
0: Yeah, thanks, thanks for that, Ben. Is that, uh, you know, recall that last week we really got on the uh, strategy deployment was one of our our weaker skills as leaders. So we should be more systematic in strategy deployment. And then once we have that strategy deployed, we we need like a leadership system so that not all the leadership work is custom and I think uh, Duffy touched on it best when she talked about getting the people engaged in that. If you get them playing their roles, is that takes a lot of pressure off leaders to coordinate right. work and improvement. I really lit up with the uh, compass analogy because uh, my partner Carol Stockmeyer talks about the compass a lot, and she points out that uh, the magnetic needle has to be periodically remagnetized. So leaders need to get out there and. When you do that, uh, remagnetizing in in the metaphor, it's uh, re-energizing your people towards those goals. Right. But in the literal sense, is you just rub the needle on a lodestone. And you always rub it in in the same direction. And I think that's an important thing, especially when you and Lisa talk about alignment. It's always about alignment. You always have to rub it in the same direction. And as a nuclear engineer, I could tell you why. Duffy, she tries to look like she wants to hear the why, but I'm not so sure she's sure. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) Is that the iron atom has a single unpaired electron. All the little electrons are little magnets in themselves, so we usually don't notice it because we cancel each other out. So in a bad organization, you don't see a very alignment. We're canceling each other out. Mm -hmm. But if you can get all of those unpaired electrons spinning the same way by rubbing that magnet the same way, is that you can get that effect. And I think that's the leader lesson from the compass is you need to get all your people headed the same way.
2: Right, so for listeners, when we're talking about strategy deployment, there's kind of a normal generic cascade, right? So it starts with this notion of your North Star statement of purpose, your hoshin, and then most healthcare organizations will have pillars of various kinds three to five, that typically represent the areas of focus of the organization, under those pillars will be strategic priorities. In other words, in that pillar, what is the strategic priority that needs to be able to be accomplished? And it should be associated with a measurable, an objective, what is often referred to as a key performance indicator, something that is clear, repeatable, that sort of thing. From there, it gets into execution, which is, okay, so what are the initiatives that we're going to do to actually make That happened, and initiatives are going to have to be taken on by people, which means there's assigned action items, and there should be then leading measures of so how do we know that we're actually accomplishing these actions, and it all needs to be connected so that when someone on the front line is doing a particular action, it connects back to the initiative, connects back to the objective in KPI, connects back to the strategic priority and ultimately the pillar, and should in all cases align to the compass, which is what I did is moving us in the right direction.
0: Yes, because when we do all that, we want to be successful. Right. There's nothing worse than executing on your strategy and realizing, well, we're not successful because we didn't have the right strategy. I think right now is uh, we're too small in measurement. It kind of reminds me of like being in a relationship is hard work, so I need to work on it. Uh, My plan for next year is I'm going to pick up my socks,
2: (laughs) (laughs) and I think that's an important part. That'll fix everything, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, you
0: don't. Leave your socks laying around but you just can't have that one thing and measure it you have to measure enough things that you can be successful so i like uh, ben your broader you know having a safety pillar a quality pillar an experience pillar an engagement pillar an efficiency pillar you probably need finance pillar maybe yeah uh, in efficiency yeah Yeah. i think press people when we try to say finances we say efficiency. efficiency yeah and then have enough of the real time and the lagging and the leading measures so you have a system of measurement. And then I think where we should go next is talking about daily improvement. How do you get people thinking that way, working that way, and making changes for the better?
2: Yeah, so let's tee up a concept that we use a lot in our work. It's called catchball. And essentially, what happens with catchball, much like it sounds, um, and Craig's demonstrating it here in the radio. Uh, we forgot the, the ball as a yeah. yeah We, we so dropped ball. the ball. So the idea is it starts with leadership. They have the ball, and they've clarified the strategic priorities. They've identified what the objective and KPI is. Now they're passing it off to middle management, essentially, to make that happen, right, which is really where the initiatives start. So now middle management has the ball, and they, in turn, are going to, pass it off to the front line because that's where the action happens but it's not one way so the front line is then going to say got it but here's what's happening so we need help they throw it back up to middle management throws it back up to uh, executive leadership and that cadence actually needs to happen on a very very consistent basis typically what we recommend is that the leadership or executive cadence is on a monthly basis at minimum so they're looking at the alignment of their strategy in a measurable way, we'll get back to that, on a monthly basis, that the frontline is doing daily work and that in the middle, with middle managers helping to manage it is a weekly rounding that includes senior executives so that they can constantly see and learn and understand what's going on. And this ties back to something we talked about in last week's show, which is leaders have authority, but responsibility is shared. So the idea of catchball is it creates a mechanism for that responsibility to be shared in a meaningful way. And if you build in your performance improvement with it as a part of that daily and weekly huddle, it can be a very, very powerful um, uh, mechanism for organizations.
0: Yeah, add a couple of thoughts about how the, the process is kind of iterative, especially at the beginning where the ball gets passed and sometimes it's handed back with what we could actually achieve in that time.
2: Yes, so so the nice thing about catchball is is it's, it's Reality-based, so you you can set up your structure like we talked about the cascading, but very quickly you're going to find out what works, what doesn't. Should we be reprioritizing? How do we make sure that you know what we try to accomplish from a KPI is actually being driven by the right actions and the right initiatives? And there's a constant um, sort of filtering process that says what are the things that are essential? It's almost like the Pareto exercise. What are the 20% that are actually gonna drive the 80 and constantly being aware of that? Yeah. And,
3: it, and it really ties back to last week's radio show. We really talked to um, getting to the business of execution, right, when we're engaging all the leaders, middle managers, frontline, we really start executing on that strategy that oftentimes sits in a boardroom and needs to get dusted off. Now we're putting it into action and, and utilizing it on a daily basis in most cases.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think our problem in healthcare is uh, in the catch ball process, people are handing the balls, but nobody's handing them back. Right,
2: that's correct. Yeah. And in fact, you alluded to this last week, Craig, that we get caught in meetings as if that's our you know, our way of doing things. And what evolves is what I call meeting stew, which means you're not really focusing on anything in particular, certainly not strategy, it's more updates, you know, we had a policy change, whatever the case may be, and that does not line up well with good execution on your strategy. So the idea of a, of a good and robust catchball process once it's set up is it's like a laser that cuts through the meeting stew and ensures that as a repeatable mechanism every day, every week, every month, all parts of the organization are involved in something that keeps them aligned and focused on their strategy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you didn't say every second. I, I would have said I told you a million times. Not to <laughs> yeah. And how,
1: how reassuring is that for people on the front line um, that that what we're saying to middle managers at some point will make it up the chain? Because as a as a front worker, a lot of times you get the ball and you say, that's great. But in reality, here's what's happening. What should we do about this? And there is no talk about it going higher up.
2: Yeah, so this is where the Toyota production system actually comes in. Okay, There's a great example that Craig and I could talk about. So in the Toyota production system, the line worker has the right to stop the line. So if they're doing something that is you know, not working on any of those performance measures, they are obligated to stop the line, at which point Leadership resources and so forth come in to make sure that's corrected, because l- the production of the whole plant is stopped until that's addressed. We yeah. don't empower people typically in healthcare mm-hmm. to do that. Exactly, stop the line, or it, you know, you've mentioned this many times outside of healthcare. Yeah, but yeah. actually,
3: I I applaud what Prescani is doing and has done over the years, along with HPI. You really are with zero harm and high reliability. I believe really are putting. That powerful mechanism in the hands of bedside nurses and clinicians to really stop the line. Tell us a little bit about how you how you engage organizations and how you teach them that it's okay for a nurse, again in a zero harm environment, to really call the shots.
0: Yeah, that, that's a, a really good topic because everybody in healthcare wants to do well for a patient. Nobody wants to harm a patient or see that happen. Right. So it's always been part of the clinician's uh, professional viewpoint that they could and should do that. I think what's happened is the psychological safety has uh, not always been there for them. Psychological safety is an idea from the 70s. I think uh, popular now through the work of primarily Amy Edmondson uh, up at Harvard. You could read about it in her book, Teeming, which is brilliant. It is. and She says, it has to be safe for people to bring up a question. We have to feel safe for people to say no. I have to be able to suggest that we do something differently and better without somebody saying, I'm not on board. Exactly. And we can manufacture that kind of psychological safety if if we invest in it as leaders. So have a a statement of purpose and conviction, but every day uh, leaders do things that are consistent and reinforce that belief. So I would have a, a leader skill that says, protect the people who speak up. And I would have an expectation for my people to, uh, let's say as a relationship skill, provide opportunities for other people to ask questions or be very good in cross-monitoring. And as you have these uh, skill systems, they tend to work together and it gives you
2: a broad improvement that tends to last. So that reminds me of an interesting experience. Early in my career, I was working with a large health system where they did a merger and three different cultures came together at the same time. And I was responsible for one area of operations where these three groups were coming together. And there was fighting right out of the gate and and mistrust and and challenging performance, and I was coming in as the new manager. The newbie. The newbie. And that had to be fun. <laughs> so I had, I had an executive Rose coach. Color glasses? Yeah, yeah. I had an executive coach at the time, and I was describing what this was, and she said, here's my recommendation, Ben. Meet with every person and ask them, do you feel safe? Just ask them that. And I was like, really? Like with all the stuff that needs to happen, that's what I should ask? She says, trust me. I said, okay. So once I got in and got introduced and so forth, I started to ask for individual meetings with people, and that was part of my leadoff was do you feel safe here? And and if not, why not? It was cathartic. It was amazing. I mean, people started to share from their perspective what wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Some people were in tears. It was it was a it was a watershed and it gave me great insight as to what is required Mm -hmm. actually to be able to create a high performance organization. So it it surfaced issues that we can then talk about as a group and address and ultimately that particular group became very high performing it didn't take a a long Mm -hmm. time it was maybe
3: it was about trust
2: it was about trust and communication and transparency and and exactly what you're talking about Craig
0: a good leadership lesson is it's not magic but uh, when it works it's magical yes I think that's the magic of the Toyota production system it's yes they could stop the line but they rarely have to because they already feel safe to improve the work. Yes. So that was done the week before and the year before. So in those few events, they do in fact pull the lever. Yeah. That yeah. is a little Japanese name, doesn't it? Yes. It's a test. Come it's on, first time to win. I got a buck on the table. And we're moving, on. <laughs> we're moving
2: <laughs> on. How about those bulldogs? Uh, it's a, dogs. Well it's a, a part of Pokey. <laughs> it's part, part of Pokey oak. Um and and it's an andon system. And on
0: so it's Good an andon. Job.
1: Ding 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 ding. Yeah.
0: I knew I'd recognize the right answer when, <laughs> yeah. when offered. Yeah. Thank you, Ben, he for bailing me out on Well, the by the way,
2: so for listeners, andons are actually fairly easy to understand, like in cars. If you have one of those lane change things mm-hmm. where it flat that's an andon. It just says, Hey, you might want to take a look at this because I think you're leaking over into the other lane. That's an, that's essentially what an andon is. And then the pokey yoke is a response to that to make sure yeah, that air- error proofing. It's airproofing. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think there's also baka yoke. Yeah. There's a test at the end of this more for like all idiot of our proofing, listeners. like <laughs> proofing right? I'm just happy I don't have to <laughs> I spell it. of the, the vodka thing, yeah. yeah. Extreme. <laughs> yeah. Extreme leadership yeah. radio yeah. error-proofing. So let's go back out in our conversation, because we talked about last week the complexity of healthcare, right? It's a complex system where you're trying to get standardization not on one dimension, but on, I think you mentioned, five dimensions or so at the same time. And therefore, it's complicated. How can we, maybe in this conversation... Start to to clarify how you can take some of the complexity out of um, high performing systems. Yeah, because yeah. we agreed last week that
0: we needed a little more simplicity. Yes, that complexity usually follows uh, system error rate. Is uh, our, you know, our thinking is that leaders need structure. Yeah. So give them leadership systems. The people need structure. So you need the right mix of standard work plus some thinking and thinking together in teams, oftentimes uh, we guide our clients and say, define the patient experience as safety, quality, and then how patients and family experience that It's perceptual quality. And then do that on a high reliability platform. Now I think the mistake that we've made is uh, healthcare leaders think that high reliability organizing our HRO is an all-in-one mm-hmm. framework and it's not. It's like a little bit of magic inside the machine. Right. Is that they'll still need something with a little broader th- framework and an easy way to point that out is there's nothing in high reliability organizing HRO that does strategy deployment. Right. And if you talk about principles, a lot of people say, "Well, we all know there's five things, though well, they're probably talking about the Wyke and Sutcliffe five. Renee and had five. I trained under Chong Chu. He had five. There's probably 30 thought leaders in high-reliability organizing. Each one had five, seven or nine principles. none of them had six or eight. Five, seven or nine. And they're all talking about how to do that one thing. So our job is to take those descriptive theories of high reliability organizing and translate that into daily activity. And the best way to do that is to package it as a set of skills, and then have your leaders practice those skills every day. Package them as universal skills for every provider, caregiver, and staff member, and have everybody practice those every day. But but to do that, Ben, we really need to shorten the field because there's really too many that are evidence-based. Like Mm -hmm. how many evidence-based thinking skills? 20, you could probably teach one. How many communication skills? Like 18, you probably wanna teach five. We just need to, to
2: rein it in so we could operationalize those ideas. Correct, and another thing we have experienced is there are organizational structural models that can be more effective in the deployment of this. I'll give an example, a hub and spoke structure like we see in airports is a great example of how you can organize your, your operation to make it more efficient. Because if I'm in a hub, I, by vantage point, have a bigger view and my role needs to be a certain way. Whereas if I'm a spoke of the hub, like a gate agent or a pilot, my role is a little bit narrower, but more detailed. And what it allows is the reduction of complexity of everyone having to own everything. Um, and healthcare has been slow to adopt that, but it's actually critical in orchestration of activity. And, and we can provide some examples of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's that we, we need to invest in uh, leadership systems to manage the work system. Right. And then we need a work system that has a, a healthy balance of process versus policy and protocol, you know, the paperwork. Yep. If paperwork made systems safe, healthcare would be safe by now. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. sure. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then people, I think we under-prescribe people who can think and think together as a team, and we're over-prescribing the paperwork. High reliability is the right mix, and, and that might be important for our listeners to to know is high reliability is a statement of excellence you're just saying that we do these important things very well high reliability organizing our hro is a narrow discipline that talks about how people-based systems can move from good to that great notch so in the wyke and sutcliffe model they'd say well we have deference to expertise toyota would say we have respect for people Is uh, in Wyke and Sutcliffe they say we have a preoccupation with failure I think the Toyota leaders might say go see in for yourself go see for yourself Mm -hmm. is that uh, there's a lot of theories that grew up separately along the same universal ideas but my point and I and I do have one here is that those five Wyke and Sutcliffe things not one of them said that you had a process that works not one of them say the knowledge and skill of your people are good not one of them said your leaders have aligned the organization around the right moving forward goals so we could be successful. That all has to be there before you can plop that HRO right down in the middle. Right? Exactly. that's a big
3: infa- So that, so, so talk a little bit about that transformation. So again, as you move large organizations into a higher reliability state, there is an inordinate amount of transformation that has to occur and kind of pre-existing systems in place.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend, and this is our practice at Press is that uh, first, uh, everybody's done a lot of work, so you always have to honor previous work. You know, find out what's making them successful, hang on to that jealously. Uh, have a, a nice framework, like, like we're talking here uh, about the Baldridge framework, and, and I like your simplified version of, of that. It helps because simplicity follows uh, reliability, or vice versa. And then uh, look at strengths and weaknesses. Usually they have something and it's partially deployed with gaps. Mm -hmm. But I think the big difference in our practice at Press Ganey is that we do a common cause analysis of loss events. We look at like maybe patient experience loss events. We look at harm events. And that gives us insight into how the system is failing so that you can adjust your going forward strategies to address those previous failures. Uh, My boss, Chong Chu, he's an MIT guy, he he theorized that a complex system should be able to reduce their loss events by 80% every two years. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and that's a big number because of the complexity of the system. You know, in the Swiss cheese effect, if there's eight things that go wrong to harm a patient, That also means we had eight chances to prevent it. If Mm -hmm. we prevent one of those eight things next time, we prevent the entire harm. So I'm not really saying that we could remove 80% of the defects, Mm -hmm. but it's 80% of the events. And most people can get that kind of result, but maybe not in two years, probably more like four years. In fact, our good friends up in Boston at Children's Hospital they reported that they're at 80.8% reduction in serious preventable harm at four years.
3: Wow. That's, good. That's awesome.
0: Our good friends at Inspira in Southern New Jersey, they're at 79% also at four years. So I think there's a lot of good work out there, but more work needs to be done. And sustainment has been a huge challenge for us, which is where Ben, I think your solution comes into play.
2: Yeah. So maybe for the listeners to create a practical example in healthcare moving patients through the organization is a big part of what they do right the com- coming in the either through the emergency department or through admissions getting onto a nursing unit seeing all the different multiple diagnostics and and you know, provider care, ultimately getting to a timely and effective discharge with an anticipation of what is supposed to happen after they leave the hospital. All of that is quite complicated and, and handoff. So going back first to the operational structure and then next into what you're talking about, Craig, the idea is if in your hub you're able to identify patients coming in both in terms of volume do they meet medical necessity criteria or appropriateness for admission is this the best place for them or is there something better for them that a different level of care once they are on the unit uh, is there then based upon their presenting condition a working what's called a diagnosis related grouping to say this is this is what their length of stay should be and does discharge begin upon admission is there a coordination with diagnostics between what they're scheduling outpatients and being able to actually schedule inpatients in there so they're not, there's not Working unnecessary delays, right? Mm-hmm. Are interdepartmental transfers effective? Uh, is there a good point of care rounding so that the care team that is managing that patient, whether it's the hospitalist or attending, the charge nurse, the case manager, et cetera, are all on one page, including with the patient and their family. So everyone is working towards a target discharge. That, that's a practical example, right? Within healthcare, that requires a tremendous amount of coordination. So just starting off that example, the structure of a hub and spoke works quite well because you can manage from the hub all of the sort of logistical components—bed availability, staffing, um, uh, whether there is a clarity of uh, length of stay for each patient—that kind of thing—and then at a spoke level, it's that's where the rubber meets the road. Like, do we actually have a plan, and are we on the plan, and how's it working in terms of the patient itinerary and that kind
0: of thing? Yeah, those thing. sounded rhetorical as questions, but the answers would be. No, maybe, no, maybe, maybe, yes, no, Great. maybe. Great, thank you, that's a good memory. Because <laughs> yeah. I think it highlights um, the problems that we have in healthcare thinking about reliability. We, we want it to be very linear and process oriented and have zero defects. And that kind of standardization makes systems very brittle. And recall last week I said healthcare is more complex and it's very nonlinear. So it puts our nurses in a position of saying, hey, I need you to step up, Ben. I have you for 3.2 days length of stay and you're not gonna be well enough to go home. I need to get some, a little more out of you. And, and we laugh because we hope that's not true, but we kind of worry that it might be like that. So we have to realize that not every patient fits on a protocol. Right. Not mm-hmm. every protocol right. will, works for a patient. Some of those patients take their own clinical pathways. So we have to have a system that is reliable you know, in that process way, and then it's also flexible or resilient. If you like a tree metaphor, we want it to be uh, strong like the oak, but also flexible like the palm. And we can get that kind of oak-type reliability out of the electronic healthcare record, which drives our process and Mm -hmm. coordinates a lot of work, but we have to get that flexibility like the palm tree out of people who think together as a team. And they're not going to think together as a team unless they have that psychological safety. Yep. And they're not going to have that unless their Ben sits in the office and says, do you feel safe? Right.
1: And I trust you. Yes. You know what you're doing with those patients. You let me know what you need. You know the patient better than I do. I'm in the hub.
2: You're in the spoke. Right. And, and going back to the metaphor we used last week, which was the orchestra this representation of the orchestra being less rigid is, I think you pointed out, more of a jazz band. So maybe you can explain as we wrap up this segment what, what you meant by that. Yeah, that,
0: that's an excellent point, Ben, because the, you know, the orchestra that's uh, well-practiced on the same piece is kind of strong like the oak tree, is they're gonna do great, but if something happens, uh, they'll probably fall apart. They'll just try to get back on track. But if you think of the great jazz ensembles, uh, they have great knowledge and skills. They have basic strategy and architecture, but they pay attention to each other and they're able to improvise. And I think that might be the answer for us in these performance cultures of the future. You know, when I look like a factory, can I act like a factory? And when healthcare doesn't look like a factory, can I perform well together
2: and think like a team? So, if you are not a jazz aficionado, you may want to go listen to some jazz because <laughs> that is a good metaphor of what a high performance organization in healthcare can be. Craig, it- thank you very much for your participation in these two weeks. Good. Thank you for having us. We
1: really appreciate it. Great things to think about. And again, a reminder about your book, Zero Harm. We'd love for people to read that and give us feedback. Also, we want to thank everyone who listens each and every week and especially for listening this week. You can always have a new live show in your ear every Friday at one o'clock Eastern time. You can visit businessradiox.com and find our show and also leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. On behalf of Ben and Lisa and our producer, Mike, we want to thank you for listening to Leader Dialogue. I'm Duffy Dixon on Business Radio X.